Hello again, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of the History Comics Podcast, this time with the second part of the history of Crack Magazine. When we last left off in the first episode, we dealt with the origins of Crack Magazine and how it ended up becoming a viable competitor to Mad Magazine, the, the, the one that was blatantly ripping off. And in this uh, back half of its history, we're going to get to how Crack reached uh, its largest heights ever, only to eventually fall. Big changes came to Crack when its chief financer, Bernie Brill, died in October of 1977, leading the magazine later to being sold to Globe Communications, the publisher of the Globe Tabloid magazine. Plus, the 1980s were also when the drug Crack made its emergence, and Crack was unfairly associated with it, with it due to its name. Oh no, the 1980s would send Crack into some uncharted territory. By this time, the black and white magazine ten hat trend had started to dry up, with Sick ending in 1980 and Crazy ending in 1983. This would benefit the Cracked, as many of their artists went over to them, such as uh, Mike Regulano, who created the Saboteurs and Investigators, later called Spies vs. Sabs, another blatant ripoff of the famous long-running mad feature Spy vs. Spy. Overall, though, comics were turning from humor to gritty or superhero fare. As a result, Crack would go in the other direction, cleaning up their content to appeal to younger audiences, essentially becoming the cleaned-up, kid-friendly version of Mad. This was apparently successful as the magazine's circulation reached 1.25 million, with Crack producing 9 issues a year plus 14 collector's editions and annuals. Larry Levin and Kenneth Barreto would later buy Crack from Bernie Brill's widow, leading to the formation of Larkin Communications. Their first job recruiting uh, Paul Lakin who returned to lead the magazine in 1985. Lakin had originally been working at Crazy, which he left to form his own Wacko, though that magazine only lasted for three issues. Returning to Cracked, he wanted to be more business-minded and even put his family to work on the magazine with his son Aaron Larkin and his sister Eden Nora, who used her first and middle name as she was a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and investigative reporter for Newsday, joining him. While bringing in no Larkin made sense considering his past tenure at Cracked and Crazy, Many felt he had lost his passion from the previous runs and the lower rates didn't help. Plus, John Severin would stop working for Crack for a time. Ultimately, Lakin's second run at Crack was not as prosperous as the first, as it wasn't uh, too appealing to kids, now Crack's target audience, as it was more like Sick, a previous humor magazine that Lakin had worked on that was founded by comics legend Joe Simon. Previously, reportedly, it was so bad that when John Severin did return, it was for $500 a page rate, along with a promise that he would not have to uh, work with Lakin. Unfortunately, it was discovered that Lakin was also double-billing art he originally used from Sick. In 1985, Michael Del Femin, also known as Mort Todd, was made the new editor of Crack Magazine at just the age of 23. By issue number 219, uh, Mort Todd took over completely, adding the new talent like Daniel Close and Marvel legend Steve Ditko. He also made a concerted effort to get Severin back into the magazine. Close would create the Ugly Family feature, while Ditko loved working in the black and white format as it, he felt it was best work for his art. All the while, Mag Magazine would, f- would frequently sue Crack, resulting in the magazine to slightly fight back, such as a Clack Collector's Edition number 77, in which they listed every artist who worked on Crack that also worked on Mad. It didn't help that Crack kept producing features that mimic Mad features, such as uh, Robot Wars, another clear ripoff of uh, Spy vs. Spy. Crack would also find themselves subject to other lawsuits, such as a, from a Planet of the Apes spoof that featured the actual photos from the film. Justifiably, the studio sued over the photos from the film, but not the actual comic strip. 
Another was the constant use of Star Wars, as Cracked was doing so many spoofs of the film franchise and featuring on the cover that it veered from satire to just plain out exploitation. Other artists who worked at Cracked, at least briefly, were Kurt Swaffenberger, who did the Super Duper Man satire inspired by his own Superman work, and Gene Colan. However, another controversy hit Cracked when Bob Fingerman left over pay and supposedly used some satanic symbols in the magazine as well. Reportedly, he was making $250 a page at the time, but tried double billing, which the accounting department reported to Mort Todd. John Accurdy, who would later do future work on The Mask, whose work served as the basis for the 1994 film, Jim Ca- the Jim Carrey film, and BPRD, would also join Cracked around this time. Mort Todd also came up with the idea for Monsters Attack, meant to be a sister magazine to Crack, though it didn't last very long. Todd also canceled a number of the cracked annuals, believing that they had outlived their usefulness, and replaced them with higher-quality, full-color magazines, with one even being in 3D. Crack continued to beat Mad to the Punch on many satires, notably with the 1989 Batman film, which despite the fact that Mad was part of the DC Comics' parent company, Time Warner. Crack even produced an all-Batman issue with two, number 248, beating anything Mad had put out for by six months. However, the biggest coup for Crack came when they managed to sign away longtime mad artist Don Martin in 1987, which Mortard helped bring about. Martin had worked at Mad for 32 years, thus this sent seismic uh, waves throughout the industry. It happened at a crucial moment as longtime editor Al Feldstein had decided to leave Mad, thus leaving Crack able to start poaching talent like Martin. Crack was able to facilitate this deal with a big fancy dinner, noting that Don Martin's wife felt he was paid too little for his work at MAD, along with not being allowed to own the rights to his work. Mort Todd, who understood that Don Martin's wife was a business manager, knew that she would be key to keeping getting Don Martin to come over. Martin couldn't even benefit from the merchandise, even when companies called asking for rights to use his work in such things as calendars and t-shirts. Even worse, he wasn't allowed to do outside work without Bill Gaines' approval, such as an American Airlines ad he did in the 1960s. This was something else that Todd used to lure Martin away, pointing out that the only reason Jack Davis became a millionaire was, was being banned from MAD, thus able to pursue such outside work. At Cracked, Martin was paid $100 more per page and given the rights to his work. Mort Todd also promised to return his original art, something Bill Gaines refused to do as well, who instead auctioned off the art for his own gain. Martin would own the rights to the peripheral books, but it had to pay a 25% fee to use the MAD logo. Reportedly, MAD was so upset about losing Don Martin, they threatened to sue Cracked again, but never did due to not having any legal standing. Cracked continued to jab at MAD regardless, introducing Don Martin as the Crack Cracktist artist, a riff on how MAD billed him as MAD Maddest artist. Martin would go on would go on to work at Crack for six years before leaving to start his own short-lived magazine, the Don Martin Magazine. He eventually passed away on January 6, 2000 at the age of 68, and is remembered as one of the great cartoonists of his era, having been inducted posthumously into the Will Eisner Hall of Fame in 2004. Bailed by nabbing Martin, Crack then moved to acquire another classic mad artist, Mort Drucker, but failed in that attempt, but would acquire other talent like longtime editor Lou Silverstone and Jerry DeFushi. With Martin joining, Bruce Bollinger also followed as Crack also started to offer health insurance. Mortard even tried to bring in mad creator Harvey Kurtzman. Don Martin would openly stay at Crack in 1993 with his last cover being in 1995. And, he pa- and when he passed away in 2000, uh, a tribute was written later given by Mike Rigoloni. 
Of note, Martin's deal was so good at crack that they couldn't even reprint his work without his because he owned the rights to it. With the success of Don Martin Hire, Crack next lord tried to lure Al Jaffe from Mad, but was unable to do so. Instead, they managed to bring on Andy Simmons as co-editor. Later, the, the, the previous mission, Lou Silverstone, would be made co-editor in 1990. He originally worked at Mad and Cracked at, at, the, at the same time, and when he went to Cracked offices, the receptionist even called him Alfred E. Newman, Mad's mascot. Unfortunately, Bill Rye, who was working at Cracked at the time but trying to get in, into Mad, spilled the beans about Silverstone, forcing him to quit Mad. Silverstone left Mad over Crack because, due to the in-house rules, he couldn't be both an editor and a writer. Crack naturally didn't lack the, any such rules. Silverstone would state it always began with the writers when it came to creating comics. He also claimed not to have hired that many artists during his tenure, but that was not really the case. While Crack never paid as well overall as Mad Magazine, it managed to run for 40 years thanks to that, along with being part of a larger publishing company, thus allowing it to be packaged with their magazines. Plus, it was known for gimmicks such as stickers and cards to entice buyers. And while there was that rivalry with Mad, Crack remained respectful with the magazine while once again attempting to try other TV ventures, though that never came about. Now, during this time, uh, Crack started to break into larger pop culture once the domain was mad with an appearance on the October 27, 1994 episode of Seinfeld called The Couch, where the character of George is shown reading the magazine. It would later be revealed that Stephen King was also a big fan. The editors themselves would later appear on the uh, Howard Stern show, and the magazine even appeared in the Cosby show. Silverstone himself appeared on uh, the Howard Stern show in 1992 with Andy Simmons, who replaced uh, Jerry DeFucci as co-editor, and Walter Brogan. Andy Simmons was a new hire, having come from the National Lampoon after the magazine collapsed. It was joined by Ron Barrett, Randy Jones, and Ed Subetsky. As a result, Crack started the, the Stuttering John interview with the issue number 332. Dick Copa and Barry Budden would later appear on the Howard Stern show in 2001. Larry Verlin and Kenneth Brito would later sell their interest in Crack to Barry Rosenblum in 1991, and Brian Buniak returned that same year to be joined by later Frank Burf, Steve Strange, and other artists. Crack would later be sold to Globe Communications, who was also published a star in Globe Tabloid Magazine, and was considered the number two tabloid magazine at the time. In late 1999, the number one tabloid magazine, American Media Enterprises International, AMI, the publisher of National Enquirer, bought Globe, and as a result, now owned Cracked. Unfortunately, AMI apparently didn't want Cracked, and only owning it as part of the deal with buying Globe Communications. One magazine they did have was the Weekly World News, a more goofy, funny tabloid that focused on such stories as UFOs and Bat Boy, which was edited by Dick Culpa, who AMI had decided to put on Crack Magazine. At the time, the magazine had no room to object, as it was bleeding money from spending too much on each issue. AMI would also move the operations of Globe Communications to Florida from New York City, joining the rest of AMI's uh, operations, in, which now included Cracked. Dick Copa would eventually buy Cracked outright from AMI in 2000, becoming his editor and publisher. However, he was forced to make the magazine bi-monthly due to the financial problems. Worst of all, John Severin would leave the magazine entirely, returning to regular comic books and drawing more movie likenesses. This was part of Cracked's uh, cost-cutting efforts, as they reasoned Severin was being overpaid despite being the magazine's most popular artist. Copa made the point that despite Se- that Severin was being paid more than even the top Marvel artists at the time, resulting in crack costing $50,000 per issue. 
This was part of an attempt of its larger plan as Copa was starting to cut rates, even stiffing pay to freelancers, all in an attempt by AMI's edict to make the magazine more profitable. Copa also showed the magazine's move to the digital age. However, he was criticized for his editorial decisions, such as adding word balloons to the features like Ed Sturkley's Mr. Precious without the artist's input. Made worse than that, it was supposed to be a pantomime cartoon without word balloons. Dave Burns was later brought on as art director so that Copa could focus on the business side of the cracked. Barry Dutter also was brought on as a head writer, helping Copa edit the book. Unfortunately, during Copa's tenure, the magazine started to be published erratically and the sales dropped to 20 to 25 issues monthly, resulting in even more cost-cutting. It didn't help that Crack was overprinted by 50,000 issues, resulting in huge losses. Copa also ran into a financial trouble as his distributors didn't pay him regularly, and he believed AMI was trying to sabotage him even after he purchased the magazine outright. Things got worse when all the original prints of Crack from 1958 to 2000 had to be destroyed due to the anthrax scare when an anonymous letter was sent to the AMI's offices, which Crack still shared with, in September of 2001 containing anthrax, resulting in the death of one employee. As a result, the entire archives had to be destroyed due to contamination, and Copa was able to only publish four issues of Crack that year. The alleged perpetrator of the crime, Bruce Ivins, an American microbiologist, committed suicide in 2008, with the FBI later declaring him the sole culprit, though no charges were ever filed against him. Near the end of Crack, Cheap Trick guitarist Rich Nelson was named the new publisher in 2004 in an attempt to gain publicity, while Copa hoped to revive it by attempting to expand the magazine with a website and merchandise, though Dick Copa was still a partner in it. They would later move the offices of Crack to Rockport, Illinois. However, despite combo conventions offering free space for Cracked, things didn't get any better and Copa was forced to sell the magazine in 2005 to the Tesco Media Group. And this will essentially be the end of the, the Cracked magazine as we know it, but it would live on in some form. On August 15, 2006, Crack was relaunched with actor-comedian Michael Ian Black serving as editor-in-chief. This came about when the magazine was acquired in 2005 by entrepreneur Multisarin, who uh, would serve as CEO after being named by the Tesco Group to do so. Neil Pollock was brought on as editor-at-large, and uh, Mort Todd was even brought back to serve as contributing editor, but quickly left over low pay rates and the work-for-hire issues. In addition, he hated the direction the magazine was heading, no longer ripping off Mad, but now it's ripping off Maxim, the men's magazine. After a year and a half hiatus, Crack was redesigned, moving from 48 pages to 80 at $3.99 an issue, but that was not the only difference, as the cartoons were largely absent, instead dealing with text stories and interviews. John Severin would return to work on issue number three. However, despite the pedigree of talent on Crack, it was canceled on March 2nd of 2007 after only three issues. Much of the flaws came about when the new owners didn't realize that Cracked allowed his creators to own his work. Plus, many called Cracked just a pale imitation of the Maxim Men's magazine that it was blatantly ripping off. Despite all this, Cracked does still live on in the web thanks to its website being launched in 1994 by Todd Jackson. After the revival of the magazine failed, the website was revamped on October 1st, 2006 with Jack O'Brien serving as ed- the web editor-in-chief. It still runs today and even started to publish again, along with a successful YouTube channel that has 2.7 million subscribers, its tagline being YouTube's oldest comedy channel since 1958. Granted, the humor magazine genre has mostly dried up, with even Mad the only being published quarterly, while the Harvard Lampoon remains the longest-running humor magazine to date. 
Of note, Crack does hold the distinction of the longest-running Mad ripoff, with his pen and the infamous voodoo doll that uh, Bill Gaines kept in his office at Mad remaining past all the others, including Mad's own spit ripoff, Panic. And that is a rambling and too brief history of Crack Magazine, the self-proclaimed second-best humor magazine of all time. While it never achieved the respect or the sales of Mad Magazine, one can say it never really wanted to. For 40 years, Crack was very happy being a ripoff of the perennial humor magazine, and along the way made its own mark in the industry. Being second isn't always such a bad place to be, especially if that place was his Crack Magazine. I would like to thank the chief sources for these episodes, If You're Cracked and You're Happy, Volume 1, The Early Years, and If You're Cracked and You're Happy, Volume 2, The Final Years, by Mark Arnold which gives a pretty detailed history of the magazine along with some great reprints of the art, features, and including a catalog of every, every issue. A must-read for any fans of the magazine. My name is Mark McCrane. I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. Listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. And now it is August 10th, 2023. Time for the favorite comic of the week. Barnstormers, number one, by uh, Scott Snyder and Tula Lotea, which is a great uh, new text series that takes place in the 1920s exploring the old Barnstormer era in which uh, pilots from World War I would go around the country doing these great uh, aerial stunt shows. They were quite unsafe at the time, and it focuses on one pilot who inadvertently crashes a wedding only for the bride-to-be to run off with him into a, into a criminal empire. This is a really uh, fun new series and some gorgeous art by Tula and uh, really is once again, Snyder doing a cool original take on the series, and yeah, has some uh, dark undertones to it, but it'll also be a lot of fun. It evokes the great Rocketeer uh, storytelling, so yeah, definitely uh, you want to give us something a little new and different, and technically, this, we're already at the number two. I'll just finally pick up this issue, but I've been hearing such good things about it, but yeah, Barnstormers number one, go ahead and pick that one up, and then pick up number two, because I have no doubt the second issue is just as good, but that is my comic book pick of the week, and that'll be it for this history of uh, Crack Magazine. Join me again next week for our new episode, and until then... Go out and enjoy yourself. A good comic book. <laughs>